0: I mean, I don't want to get too esoterical, but it's 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 really a quasi-spiritual, religious experience to,
1: to be in there, I think. On the outskirts of Oslo, there's a mausoleum. Some call it the city's best-kept secret. It's the underrated masterpiece of a mostly unknown artist, an artist who was overshadowed his whole life by his more successful brother. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. And today, we visit the Emanuel Vigland Mausoleum to learn the story of two brothers, both artists, who each in their own way shaped the city of Oslo. And we'll focus on the younger, lesser-known brother, quieter, more reserved, but who left a legacy all his own. That's after this. along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com.
2: So it's kind of Emmanuel Wigelin everywhere. And also in this building, as in the museum, he's made everything. So the door handles, the chandeliers... Every little sort of bits and bobs have his kind of stamp
1: on it. That's Helena Jensen. She's a calligrapher, a graphic designer, and a curator of the Emanuel Viglen Museum in Oslo, Norway. She also happens to live in Emanuel's old home and studio. So Helena is immersed in Emanuel Viglen's life. But for most people in this area, it's his brother Gustav who's the big deal.
2: You know, growing up in Oslo, um, I grew up next to uh, Gustav Wiglans Park. Mm. So for me it was the playground. So we climbed the statues, we you know, played ball around them on the monolith, we swam in his fountain. Yeah. And of course all the tourists would throw money into the fountain and we would dive uh down and pick them up again and go and buy ice
1: cream. It's so, that's so interesting. So your youth was sort of like spent in the shadow of Gustav and your adulthood is spent literally living in the space that Emmanuel built. These are, these brothers have like shaped your, your life in some very interesting ways.
2: I probably shouldn't tell you, but i had never been to Emmanuel's museum before, was it like 2001? A, A lot of people in Oslo, I
1: have never been. His brother Gustav, his sculptures are hard to miss. They're in Frogner Park, one of Oslo's most popular attractions. And they're wacky, edgy, gigantic. Among other things, they feature a statue of a man being attacked by babies. You might have seen it. It went viral a couple of times. And Gustav's sculptures have been there for nearly a century. The brothers were born in Norway in the late 1800s and grew up on a small farm in the southern part of the country. They both showed promise as artists and left home about as quickly as they could to start their careers. At first, Gustav, the older brother by 7 years, seemed to take Emanuel under his wing.
2: He kind of moved to Oslo pretty quickly and started his career as an artist. And then when Emmanuel reached the age of around 15, 16, he followed in his brother's footsteps. And Gustav helped him a lot uh, in the beginning. Um, Gustav helped him getting into art school, um, helped him with the recommendations, helped him getting in touch with, well, useful people to know.
1: So at this point, Gustav was blowing up. He was making these crazy modern sculptures, like the ones in Frogner Park, and just catching people's attention. Emanuel took a different approach. He gravitated towards these more traditional crafts. Fresco painting, stained glass windows. And as Emanuel came into his own as an artist, things started to go south between the two brothers.
2: Slowly, as Emanuel's career kind of took off, and he got more and more commissions, uh, exhibited his work, and were pretty successful. Gustav kind of felt that he was a bit, his work was a bit too close to Gustav's and that he wasn't um, original enough or uh, independent enough. So gradually, um, they started sort of quarreling, figuring more and more, and then, and eventually
1: they fell out. Helena doesn't know for sure, but as far as we can tell, after the brothers fell out, they never spoke again, for the rest of their lives. Gustav died in the early 1940s, and Emmanuel followed a few years later, which brings us back to the Emmanuel Wigland mausoleum. It was Emmanuel's final artistic masterpiece, and his final resting place.
0: When you enter this door, basically right on the other side above the door is the the urn with Emmanuel's ashes. So voluntarily or not, you kind of have to bow for him when you enter the space, you know?
1: From the outside, it doesn't look like much. Just a brick building on a hill on the outskirts of Oslo. But inside is something else entirely. The mausoleum is covered floor to ceiling In frescoes, depicting scenes of human life, everything from conception to death in painful, sometimes erotic detail. In one scene, two naked people are lying on the ground, wrapped in an intimate embrace, while a skeleton stands over them, holding a crying baby. In another, we see two skeletons seemingly having sex on a cloud, surrounded by a mess of tangled naked bodies. At first, Emmanuel wanted the space to be part of his museum, a place to showcase his life's work. But inspired by the burial chambers of antiquity, Emmanuel later decided it would serve double duty as his tomb. He finished painting his frescoes, sealed all the windows with bricks, and arranged for his ashes to be placed inside, just above the entrance. Since Emmanuel's death in 1948, the Vigeland Mausoleum has developed its own small but dedicated following. But not everyone comes for the sights. Some come for the sounds.
3: My name is Martin Kohler. I am a sound designer from Oslo, Norway.
0: Yeah, My name is Lasse Kuhlmann. I'm a, I guess I would say, a, what am I, Martin? <laughs> An artist?
1: <laughs> I think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Martin Kohler and Lasse Kuhlmann are friends and creative partners who met while studying music and sound engineering in Australia. Since they began their artistic partnership, Martin and Lasse have been searching for unique places to make music together, everywhere from mountain caves to subway tunnels. But there's one place in particular that they keep coming back to. Can you tell me the story of the first time you each encountered the Vinglid mausoleum? I remember when I was very very little maybe 5 years old and my dad would take me
3: This one time he took me to this place and I had this vaguest memory of this kind of infinite dark strange tunnel or room or like I didn't have the concept to understand this place but I think it was kind of late at an, uh, at the day and there was only me there and my dad And he was talking to the curator outside and I was running into the room. And I can just remember this very, very profound sense of something uh, mythical or something uh, like some depth that I have never experienced before. And it kind of stayed with me for a long, long, long time.
1: As an adult, Martin found his way back to the mausoleum, sort of by accident. He was home from school testing out acoustically interesting recording venues. And uh, so I recorded three churches and my uncle
3: would recommend me this place and once I kind of heard about it uh, I remember that this was the place that I had been when I was such a young uh, young kid. Uh, So I guess like those are two both of these kind of times felt like the first time that I kind of encountered it because one was an adult as kind of a professional as an artist and one was just this raw, innocent kid who encountered this really, really strange place, which uh, the feeling, to be honest, still kind of uh, lingers whenever I go, that is, say.
1: Because of the mausoleum's high, barrel-vaulted ceilings, even the tiniest footsteps can echo through the space for almost 20 seconds. Over the years, the Vigeland Mausoleum has become something of an acoustic destination. And Martin and Lasse make the pilgrimage often. Together, they've experimented with everything from their own voices to sitars to squeaking chair legs against the stone floor.
0: So if you want to play a concert in this place, it's really hard to prepare for it because the reverb does so much to the sound. So the best way is really to, to compose in the space so that you can hear what it actually sounds like in there. Um, every move you make uh, lasts for a long time. So you get, you get really conscious of, of everything you do and everything you say.
1: And, and he designed it specifically with the sound as part of that, right? That's part of the conception of the piece, and, or is it an accident?
0: I'm not sure, but I, I would find it very strange if it was an accident. I think yeah, everything in there is thought through, and especially because the sound gives you so much of this sense of eternity you know, how it just lasts and lingers. And so I think it's definitely on, on purpose.
1: Is it strange, actually, to spend so much time in, in someone's mausoleum? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, in <laughs>
0: in a sense, but, but um, I always felt like Emmanuel liked it when we were just cranking sounds in there and doing crazy stuff. It always felt like that was in, in line with his spirit, sort of.
1: Emmanuel might not be as famous as his older brother Gustav, but his mausoleum offers something special, something uniquely his own. To really appreciate Emanuel's work, you have to go looking for it. And for those who do, the impact is lasting. For me, it's, um,
0: it's the most unique space I've ever been to. And I've been looking for unique spaces um, for a big part of my adult life um caves in the alps and like i said crazy spaces in the berlin underground and everything and and the mausoleum is is um it's just so unique and um, i mean i don't want to get too esoterical but it's 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 really a quasi-spiritual religious experience to to be in there i think
1: The Viglin Mausoleum is a space for introspection, a space to listen and think, to contemplate life and death, or to relax and let the sound sweep you away. We're going to leave you in that space. This whole episode's music has been composed by Martin Koller and Lasse Kuhlmann, and here is one final piece by the two of them, The Liquid Squirrel, composed for the Viglin Mausoleum. This podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. Our production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka,
2: Camille Stanley, Sarah Wyman, Manolo
0: Morales,
2: Chinanya Onike, Maddie Weinberg, Camille Mojica, Tracy
1: Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. And I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll talk to you soon. Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com.
3: Hi, I'm Willa Paskin, the host of Decoder Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Decoder Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet, you know, to describe a hairstyle, come from? That's Decoder Ring, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by The New York Times. Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one.